What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. Today is Monday, March 27th, 2023, and we're going to go over the newsletter that I write every Monday called the Bitcoin Fundamentals Report. You can sign up for that at bitcoinandmarkets.com. It has several different sections, headlines, price, mining, and lightning. So we're going to go through all of those, see what's going on. And I want to build a theme throughout this, uh, and you guys will hopefully get it as we get going here on the headlines. But yeah, check out bitcoinandmarkets.com. You can sign up to support my content with becoming a member. And then there's uh, other tiers there to get a little bit more content. I put out a Market Pro newsletter with all sorts of technical analysis for Bitcoin and for macro, including commodities, currencies, stocks, all of that. I don't do individual stocks, but I look at the markets and I predict where we're going to be in coming months, not just next week, but in six months, 12 months down the road, where are we going to be? And I think that's that's very valuable for people because I have been extremely accurate over the last few years predicting where the economy is going. Uh, just to summarize is we're going towards a post-GFC normal, a deflationary grind of the end of a global credit bubble, the end of a global credit system breakup, deglobalization, and in that period, you need to go to a sound money that embodies the trust itself. And so that's how people are going to go to Bitcoin. Uh, my thesis, I think, is unique in the world, really, uh, how to understand Bitcoin going forward. And we don't have a inflationary end to the system, like people talk about hyperinflation. Bellagio, you can see on the screen here, which was uh, the most recent live stream that I released as a podcast. Um, he's talking about hyperinflation in the dollar. I don't see that at all. I'm going the opposite direction. A lot of people have a deflationary narrative or theme, whatever, to their macro forecasting, like Jeff Schneider and others. But I'm the only one that has married this with the end of the system. Like, how does the system end if the dollar just keeps getting stronger? Well, it's because you constantly have a monetary shortage. You're looking for a monetary alternative and green shoots and more economic activity, more value will accrue to this monetary alternative. That's a much better story than an inflationary collapse, because if we have a hyperinflation, it's very bad for the bottom strata of people. A deflationary collapse is similar, but it's not as intense. Okay, It's just a slow grind of 0% growth. You have things in society where you have tensions, political tensions, you have cultural tensions, and we see those all around the world. Uh, so that is kind of where the pain comes from. People fearing that they're losing Western civilization, that they're losing their traditional national identity or ethnic identity. Um, and we see that all around the world. But that's a better story than people starving in the street with hyperinflation, which is not something that we want to see. So anyway, a very unique perspective here on Bitcoin and markets. Welcome to the show. Let's log in to the back end. Share this tab. All right, so you're seeing how the sausage is made in the back end of my report. I'm writing this up. First part is all of the content that I did in the last week. You can see quite a few 
things released to the public. The first one is the Market Pro. So that is with the premium subscription on the website, but all this other stuff is free to the public. Now let's get into the headlines. So breaking this morning was that Bitcoin tumbles as CFTC sues Binance for allegedly violating commodity trading laws. And I say this is a sensational headline. Bitcoin didn't tumble. It did dip a little bit. And let me just look at the price here. Yep, it's still above 27,000. So yeah, there was a little dip, a little bounce. We'll see where it ends up for the day, but this isn't like some crash, okay? This is what the article says. The CFTC alleged that Binance failed to register with the agency despite its, quote, solicitation of and reliance on customers located in the United States to generate revenue and provide liquidity for its various markets, end quote, according to a filing with the federal court of in Illinois Monday. Of course, CFTC, Chicago, Chicago, Illinois. That's why it's not New York. Okay. Quote, Binance and its officers, employees, and agents have instructed U.S. customers to use VPNs to obscure their location, end quote, the CFTC wrote in the filing. Very interesting. I mean, we expected this to happen. I've been in Bitcoin a long time. I know that people logged into websites with VPNs and traded. People knew this was against regulations for the longest time, but it is kind of a loophole in regulations because how do you police that? You know, the, the way that the exchanges were policing it is they would just block IP addresses from that country. But people can just use VPNs to log in behind that. I don't know if that is the meat of their issue here, but uh, they did not register with the CFTC, which is a big deal. All right, let's continue. Report claims criminal activity and fraud run rampant at Cash App. So Cash App was the victim of a hit piece this week from Hindenburg Research. They, I don't know if they're a short-selling outfit or not, but this is something that you might expect from a short-selling outfit. They put out this uh, kind of dubious research report. Uh, they just firsthand experience went and signed up for accounts, and then they wrote a report on this, uh, and it crashed the price of Block, formerly Square. That's the parent company of Cash App. And so there was all these allegations, then the SEC went and opened up an investigation against them. And this is the only Bitcoin only on-ramp that has now has an investigation, but the investigation is not around Bitcoin. The investigation is around like traditional financial rails, you know, that they put on traditional, the guardrails that you have, the regulations. That's what it's about for Cash App not anything to do with Bitcoin or crypto specifically, but Block responded and they saying that the report was factually inaccurate. So we'll have to see how this turns out. I mean, I'm not against saying that Block had some dubious practices, but all of them do, you know, just look at Credit Suisse. I don't know if it was on this podcast or on FedWatch where I read out the history of abuses and corruption that Credit Suisse was guilty of, and it picked up pace in the last 10 years. UBS has been fined for, you know, um, laundering money for the car drug cartels and giving money to Iran and trading with Iran and doing things like that around sanctions. The big banks constantly are settling 
with the government because of their violations. So if Block is doing this, which I don't think it was nearly as widespread as it was being reported, but let's say that there was some, I mean, it's like that everywhere. Okay, let's continue. Signatures seized assets sold without crypto. Here's why it matters. This, I just linked to this article. And uh, I take a quote from the article. It says, to no one's surprise, New York Community Bank Corps Flagstar Bank Division. Oh, my God, that was bad. Uh, successfully bid for signature. $88 billion in deposits and 40 branches was announced. It had excluded the $4 billion in crypto company deposits. And we've talked about this already. Of course, those crypto company deposits are going to be made whole by the FDIC. It's just not part of signature anymore. It has been peeled off and it's going to be wound down. All right, then we're going on to the next one. The US SEC threatens to sue Coinbase over crypto products. And we are all well aware now of this Wells notice that went out to Coinbase, but it's not just Coinbase, right? Kraken got a similar one. Uh, CK on FedWatch last week, he said that, you know, some of his connections in Ethereum, they many hundreds of these little companies have gotten these Wells notices. So it's really being cracked down on. I haven't heard of any Bitcoin only companies getting these Wells notices. And that's the, the theme I want to say here. All of these things are very bad for crypto, but not Bitcoin. It's very important to understand this. The crypto only companies like Swan, who does a lot of volume onboards high net worth individuals and plebs alike onboards tons and tons of people, has tons of DCA going on every single day on Swan, and they are completely unaffected. Cash App is unaffected on the Bitcoin side. They are affected on just kind of traditional financial side of, of the house. Um, but Bitcoin companies in general that serve as on-ramps and off-ramps are generally unaffected by all of this choke point 2.0. And we have to go back to where Choke Point 2.0 originated. Where did it originate? Nick Carter, scammer extraordinaire, Esquire. Nick Carter Esquire, that's what we should call him. Um, you know, he's he's worried about his scam investments. He made the wrong bet, and now he's trying to save his uh, business, save his uh, financial well-being. So this is not a Bitcoin story this is a crypto story and now if we view it in that respect we have to go back to say should we care you know should bitcoiners care there is yet no evidence that they are they can or will come after bitcoin there i mean i guess you could say they talked about raising capital gains taxes that would be coming after bitcoiners a little bit but not if you just hold, not if you just hold until you can buy it with Bitcoin, then there will be no, I mean, I guess there would be technically capital gains still on that unless they back the dollar with Bitcoin, then there won't be any capital gains. So it's not an attack necessarily on Bitcoin. So Bitcoiners, should we care? I see the people that are being attacked are fraudulent. They're fraud scammers. The people doing it are forceful government 
bureaucrats. So we have a force versus fraud argument, which is worse. And I don't want to get involved. That's why I say I don't care about this right now. They're not coming after Bitcoin. And maybe this is a situation where you say, oh, first they came for the crypto bros and I did nothing. Then when they came for me, there was no one to speak up for me. Well, maybe, but there's no evidence of that at this time. Uh, there's only actually, con well, there, like I just said, there was that capital gains thing, but that is just wishful thinking. I don't think it can get passed. I mean, it would be years and years and years down the road. There's all this stuff about CBDCs where we have contrary statements from Powell and from previous people at the Fed and previous working groups. They they know exactly what why a CBDC is not worth it or worthless. We have contrary evidence there. We have uh, the SEC with Gary Gensler has come out and said, you know, Bitcoin is not a security. The CFTC regulates it already through the same way they regulate other commodities. So all of this evidence is going down the road of, this is not an attack on Bitcoin. This is an attack on fraudulent scammers. So I'm just sitting this one out. Okay, let's continue with some macro headlines. Deutsche Bank tumbles. We saw this earlier this week. Credit Suisse, you know, blew up. Then it looked like it was rolling over to Deutsche Bank. So far, that pressure has been kind of relieved with Deutsche Bank, but we'll see where it goes from here. The big problem for Europe is they don't have an FDIC equivalent. That's a big problem because those depositors will flee. This is not a solvency issue, like I've said multiple times now. This is a deposit flight issue. The deposits are fleeing to other places. It is kind of a bank run, but it's not necessarily a solvency issue. So what is up podcast listeners breaking in on the edit? I wanted to clarify that a little bit more. So this solvency versus deposit flight. Yes, deposit flight can cause a solvency issue where assets are fleeing the bank. And so their assets drop below their liabilities and cause a solvency crisis. There can also be credit default swap contagion within the system. But that's a fundamentally different character than what we saw during the great financial crisis, where the assets on the bank's balance sheets were actually losing value. The mortgage-backed securities with the subprime mortgages and all that. So those assets were losing value systemically. All, they were on all banks' balance sheets. And so all banks were facing solvency issues at the exact same time. This time, we have deposits fleeing from certain banks, maybe one bank or a handful of banks, similar banks. And so it's not systemic yet. Can it morph into something systemic like the great financial crisis? Yes, that's possible. You know me, I am big into seasonality. So this was the end of Q1. We usually have a few things happen at this time. End of Q3 is the big time for financial crises. So we should be watching that in about six months. I will be watching it very closely to see if we have any similar things to the great financial crisis. But right now, we have a fundamentally different character to this crisis than the great financial crisis. So I uh, just want to make that clear solvency and deposits and whatever. Okay, let's get back into it. That is a big difference here between Europe and the U.S. And that's why I am less bearish on U.S. banks than 
European banks. But then just out this morning, CNBC's website took off uh, the credit default swap data for five banks, including JP Morgan and Bank of America. And this kind of made the rounds. Uh, it was put in the comments in our Telegram group. I don't think this is all that big of a deal. I saw Point BTC saying that it was likely an upgrade of the website or some sort of you know, oversight that this got dropped. We can look at the charts of the dollar. We can look at charts of rates. We can look at charts of the stocks. And this is not saying that anything is imminent. Okay. Just like I said on the Market Pro newsletter last week, when I looked at all these commodities, all these stock markets, uh, currencies, even agricultural goods, and I said, where is the stress? Okay. Everyone's talking about huge, huge recession, worse than 2008. And it is nowhere in the charts. It is absolutely nowhere in the charts. Let's move on to a little of that price analysis. And I will bring up the chart actually here. All right. So, so you can see this zone, this red zone at the top. I'm getting that red zone from the bottoms back in 2021. And then the Terra Luna bottom right before Celsius blew up. And we took that second leg down there in June of 2022. So this $30,000 zone is very important. And if we break up from here, there's not a ton of structural resistance. You could say a little bit at 35, 36,000, but there's not a ton above us. And I think we could really rally quite quickly if we break through that zone. This morning, this big sell-off you can see is this candle right here. It was about a $1,000 sell-off, but is now off the lows from earlier this morning, and we'll see where that settles out. Let's take a quick look at the dollar. Now, this is one that we would definitely see stress in the system. If there was major dollar stress, if there was major solvency crisis going on globally right now that was super acute, we would see this going higher. We see the dollar going up because in a solvency crisis, you need dollars badly. You will sell all your other assets to get dollars to meet your debt obligation. And we don't see that right now. Let's take a look again or further at the 10-year. 10-year is bouncing a little bit this morning. Now back over 350. Again, if this was a huge flight to safety, we would see this crashing even more than it has. We'd see it, you know, approaching 3% or even 2.5% in a horrible crash in the global financial system, which we are not seeing. It's actually holding up quite well. I remember back here in, was this in January or something? You guys that have been listening this whole time, you probably know. I used to say, oh, it's in its happy place. 3.5, 3.55 was about its happy place. And again, it's right there once again. The 10-year is very comfortable right in this zone. Um, it's not imminently going to break down from my analysis, but it's it's possible. I would say it's just as possible to go a little bit higher from here too. So um, there again, there's no indication in the markets right now that there is an acute credit crisis underway. All right, let's go to the stock market. 
very similar analysis. We technically had a higher low here in at the end of March or at the middle in the middle of March. Um, higher lows, higher highs. There is a possibility that the Fed actually pivots before there is a huge credit crisis, just like they did back in January of 2019. Uh, January 2019, they paused six months of market rally. And then in July, they cut mid-cycle adjustment. Market continued to rally. They cut again with the repo rumble. Market continued to rally. Even with a important plumbing issue, which the repo rumble was, the market kept going higher. So I don't see anything in this chart that's telling me we're about to break down. Similar story. Okay, let's go back to the report. Let's take a look down here at the mining section. My normal hash rate chart is not displaying properly. So I'm using this lookintobitcoin.com. It's a good website. They have a lot of great free charts here, charting tools. But you can see the hash rate just exploded over the last week. And this I was waiting for because we did see this year a huge rally, you know, in the Bitcoin price. And we hadn't seen an associated super huge rally of the hash rate. At least I would say from March 10th through today, when we bottomed March 10th at around 20,000 and we rallied all the way to 29,000, we haven't seen a an associated, you know, big spike in hash rate. And that would tell me if we don't see an associated spike in hash rate is that this price is not supported by the fundamentals. But once we get this huge spike in price or in hash rate, that tells me that the, the fundamentals that the miners are, you know, acutely aware of or well aware of, uh, this has to do with OTC demand. It has to do with regulators that they talk to, other businesses that they talk to. Um, just overall demand, supply and demand in the Bitcoin economy, they're seeing this favorable right now. And so that supports the current price, that this current price is not overvalued. But anyway, that's what we've seen in the last week with, the Bit with Bitcoin mining. All right, let's go back. Lightning news. So Strike brings lightning fast money transfers from the U.S. to Vietnam. Slowly but surely, Strike is opening up the entire world to money transfers running on the Lightning Network rails. Quote, Strike, the world's leading digital payments platform built on Bitcoin's Lightning Network, today announced the launch of fast, secure, and low-cost money transfers from the U.S. to Vietnam, further expanding its revolutionary cross-border payment service. This reads like a press release. But um, Vietnam's a pretty big market for remittances, I would say, from the U.S. I don't know the exact numbers or anything or where it ranks. Of course, U.S.-Mexico is the biggest one, probably some other Central American countries, uh, but Vietnam would probably be in there. Vietnam, Philippines would be big markets, and Strike is now in both of those East Asian countries. Okay, next news from or about Lightning Network is USDT, that's Tether, is coming soon to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Paolo Arduino, I don't know how to say his name, Arduino, 
Uh, he is the, I think, the CTO of of Bitfinex and the CTO of Tether. So, you know, he's big into, he's a big Bitcoiner. But, of course, he is big into Tether. And Tether does play a role in the Bitcoin revolution as well. But he says, now, the first Lightning Network node supporting RGB assets. Team's work is impressive. So, we have RGB, which is the colored coin protocol worked on by Giacomo Zucco, uh, or I think he spearheaded it. That's coming out using things like ordinals, I believe. Actually, I'm not sure on that part, but it is colored coins on top of Bitcoin, and it can be used on the Lightning Network. And so they're using this to work with Tether which I think is big news. Tether is, of course, network agnostic. It started on Bitcoin with the Omni protocol, so very similar to what this RGB concept is. Omni was originally MasterCoin when it first launched, then it became uh, was rebranded as Omni. Then it became, you know, during the scaling conflict, fees were too high, so they moved to Ethereum and Tron. That's where most of their volume was for Tether. But now it looks like they could be moving back onto the Lightning Network. I mean, I wouldn't want to be using Tron and Ethereum if they're going to start having trouble with being unregistered securities. That would just make Tethers, that would open up an attack vector to Tether that they probably don't want. So moving onto the Lightning Network is the smart move, at least bringing a lot of their volume onto the Lightning Network. That is a smart move for Tether, in my estimation. Another tweet here from Iris Wallet. Big news, the first fully working Lightning Network node that supports RGB assets is out. Kudos to all the Bitfinex RGB team for the great work behind this achievement. And that's going to do it for today's live stream, guys. Check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com. Make sure you're signed up to get this free report every week. So if you're tuning in on YouTube or Twitter, somewhere that you don't catch my live streams very often, uh, make sure you are subscribed, comment, like on those platforms. Um, I'm also on Twitch now. So Telegram, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube are where, is where I'm streaming to right now. If you sign up on BitcoinAndMarkets.com with just your free email notifications, you'll get notified every time that I drop content. So thanks guys. And I'll see you on the next one. Bye.